0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. For this simple sort of exhortation and message, we've talked about, are we just last saying that the Lord is over everything? You know what's amazing about our Lord? He's over everything, yet he came to this earth, and he was, he was beneath everybody. Do you know what I mean? That The greatest man who ever lived was the humblest servant who's ever been. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, humility, but we're going to talk about humility within the context of love. We're going to learn a little bit about what love is and what love isn't. I'm just going to look at one brief verse in 1 Corinthians 13, right, the great passage on love. But I want you guys to turn to Philippians 2 and Luke 14 if you can. Philippians 2 and Luke 14. And let me read... What Paul says to the Corinthians, um, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Love suffers long, or love is patient, and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. So I'm going to title this message, There's No Peacocks in Heaven. If you love peacocks, I'm sorry. I think when you get there... They're not gonna be there. And I think you'll understand why in a minute. But the, the message is sort of hidden um, inside this very simple um, one verse. And, um, and in one verse, we begin to learn what love is and we begin to lear- learn what love isn't. In 1 Corinthians thirteen four, just the one verse, we learn um, love is two things. And we learn uh, one thing that love is not. Love is patient And love is kind. Um, When we talked about patience, or when you think about patience, love is patient. Think about the prodigal father. And he has the son, right, who takes the inheritance early. And he goes. And because the Bible says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices with the truth, the father stayed on the front porch, we might say, right? He didn't go chasing after him because he couldn't enable that bad behavior. So he had to be patient and wait for that boy to come to his senses. As soon as he came to his senses, of course, the father ran out. And embraced him. And then love is not, um, uh, love is kind. And with kindness, we learn that kindness is something that, if you're a kind person, you're looking, you're searching, you're seeking for an opportunity to, to do good to somebody else. And the story there that I think maybe best presents this is the story of King David. After Saul has been deposed, David's on the throne. The kingdom is all completely sort of established and David says this, is there anybody still left from the house of Saul that I might show God's, show God's kindness to? So he was sort of, a, kindness sort of hunts for an opportunity to do good. So love is patient, love is kind, but then it is not envious. Love is not envious. Now, envy is interesting. Envy looks around a lot too, like kindness is searching Envy does a whole lot of looking around as well. It's just that it seeks its own, right? It wants to make sure that everything, envy has a love affair with fair. If you guys are paying attention, um, you know we're hearing a lot about equity today. Equity, we're hearing equity from everyone about everything. We're to have equity in everything as if that's the most loving thing to do. Listen, equity is nothing more than envy in disguise. That's all it is. So some of you at your workplace, you've got diversity, equity, inclusion, all that stuff. Equity, this hasn't got anything to do with fairness. It's got nothing to do, it's got everything to do, well, in the end, it's got everything to do with power. But nevertheless, envy is nothing more than, or equity is nothing more than envy in disguise. discerning people can see this. So the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is Paul has to address some bad behavior. On the Corinthians part, Uh, Paul was the kind of pastor, and you have a pastor like this too, who's not afraid to offend somebody while telling the truth, right? And so at the risk of offending somebody, we have 1 Corinthians 13, and a whole bunch of somebody's even here today, have been blessed, right? By the way, the most loving thing that we can do for another person is tell them the truth, Right? Go to lunch today after church. Your, your buddy has a salad, and most of the salad stays in his teeth. And you're at lunch, and you're looking on, and you're like, oh, gosh. I, you know, you, there's, hi, you're, you're talking. And you're like, I need to tell him that there's salad in his teeth. But I don't, I mean, that's kind he might be offended. No, listen, when he gets home six hours later, and he realizes, I went to the gas station I went to the grocery store. I talked to the girl at the pump. I mean, and, and he gets home and he's like, This has been in here since lunch. And he thinks, What? Calls you, Bro, did you see the salad? Did you see that it had green stuff? I mean, I did. I just didn't want to offend you. Right? It's loving to tell the truth. Amen? Okay. So what else is love not? In the King James, New King James, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. The old living Bible has it this way, is never boastful or proud. The old authorized standard version says, it vaunteth not. You know, it, vaunt, it vaunts not. In the, old, in the old English. Other newer translations have it, will not brag, is not arrogant, is not conceited, so we get the idea, right? It's clear in a word that love is not proud, meaning condescension or conceit is never a loving position for God's kid. Perhaps you've heard of reading 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, putting your name in, your own name, every time love is mentioned. Have You ever tried that? Yeah, well, we'll just do it for, just briefly. Like, Frank is patient. My wife's not in this service. <laughs> I might go a little further. Frank is kind. Frank does not envy. Frank is not proud. And we'll stop there so that nobody gets sick and I don't, get conv- I don't get convicted or any further, right? But when you put Jesus' name in there, isn't it just absolutely perfect? Anyone here glad that Jesus is patient? Yeah, anyone glad that Jesus is kind? Jesus doesn't envy anybody else. Jesus isn't arrogant or haughty or proud. You can put his name in there and it's just absolutely perfect. It's just so, it's so beautiful. And perhaps... The strongest proof text for this idea that Jesus is not proud is found in Philippians chapter two. That's why I wanted you to turn there. And we're going to read a few verses and then I'll highlight something. We'll call it a love ain't attribute, right? Something that love isn't. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, Paul writes this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, or let this attitude, another translation says, be in you too, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, Jesus did nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. Now, the New King James has this line right here. I just read to you out of the NIV, and it says, in the NIV it says that rather, he, he, here, Christ is God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus shows up and he is God, and yet he did not consider equality with God something that he should use to his own advantage. Rather than NIV says he made himself uh, nothing, the New King James says this. Listen, to this he made himself of no reputation, no reputation whatsoever. Then it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above. Every. Now tell me, church, if you don't find that posture, that attitude of Jesus to be profoundly countercultural, right? It's one of the things, honestly, and I'm raising kids like you, I've got a 23-year-old daughter, a 21-year-old daughter, 18-year-old son, 14-year-old little girl, 10-year-old little girl. And uh, one of my biggest concerns uh, and one of my biggest issues with social media is, is not social media the exact opposite of the way that Jesus lived? Social media, I mean, social media is like, I am going to make a reputation for myself. I want, you know, Christ who is quite literally something, came in like, he did everything he could to kind of veil his glory. Not all of it, but most of social media is like, see my glory, follow my glory, like my glory, right? Just interesting, to say the very least. But love is not proud, it's not conceited, it's not puffed up, it won't brag. Hey, look at me. That's essentially what the whole social media world is. Hey, look at me. So Jesus Christ, the greatest man to, Grace, the planet, being its creator, he lived lowly like this because love is not proud and he is love. So now let's listen to Jesus, the master, right? The master teacher, the one who modeled this literally better than anybody else. Now, I'll confess to you as a as a preacher, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but some messages are harder for preachers to preach than others. Uh, that's just because... This whole book is true, and my whole life ain't true. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to live up to this. There are some messages that I can preach with a lot of boldness and conviction, and there's some messages, especially if my wife's in the room, I can't preach with that much boldness and conviction because I still ain't there yet. She's like, no, 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 don't you dare. I can't. I get the Holy Spirit who sounds a lot like my wife. So anyway, <laughs> she's like, no, doggy. You- Listen, every message Jesus preached was easy because the way Jesus lived his life, the way Jesus lived and what Jesus said, they were perfectly in harmony. He was never like, I haven't really lived up to that yet. He embodied it, okay? So he, the master teacher, is gonna teach a master class on this whole idea that love is not proud. Luke 14, I love this. Here we go, verse one. Now it happens as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. Um, initially, I planned to jump straight to the part a couple of verses in that Jesus teaches on both pride and humility because love is not proud. But I realized that the whole context, including this little bit here, adds to his main lesson. So we just read that Jesus went into the house of one of the Pharisees one of the rulers of the Pharisees. The NIV provides a little bit more color. Listen, it says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. The idea here is that Jesus is at somebody's house, okay? And uh, we're gonna see that while he's at somebody's house, Jesus not only sees something, he then addresses the something that he sees. So he's at the house of somebody prominent, somebody important. They're watching him closely, yet they have no notion, no idea whatsoever that he's watching them too. Verse two, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is interesting because while he's watched intently, there just happens to be a man there with this condition called dropsy. Now, Dropsy is not a sad case of the fumbles. This guy's not like clumsy. He's really quite sick. And in that day, if you had Dropsy, B- Dropsy would present itself like this. Your face would swell up really huge. Your arms and your legs would swell up really huge to the degree that you couldn't hide it. So if you showed up, with, if you showed up like this, everybody knew there's the guy that's got Dropsy. So this guy happens to be there planted like bait in front of Jesus on the Sabbath. It's really, really interesting. And so while it's true that the Pharisees had a hard time figuring out who Jesus was, really, there was one thing at this point that they knew. They knew that Jesus Christ could hardly refuse somebody in the middle of their suffering. So they're like, you know what we're gonna do? We care about the Sabbath. We're gonna plant this sick dude on the Sabbath in front of him. It's a trap. This, imagine that religion would use people like bait. But these religious leaders put this sick dude in the room. He just happens to be there on the Sabbath. Jesus sees the whole thing and he goes, hey guys, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? By the way, um, that's a word of wisdom. Words of wisdom, you see them as some spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And uh, words of wisdom are typically divine pieces of intel in the middle of a contention Moms and dads, you want to pray for words of wisdom? <laughs> so in the middle of the mess with the, kid, the kids, you can't tell who's telling the truth. Ask God to give you a word of wisdom. And then it just, it ends the argument. And Jesus was masterful. Uh, for which of these good works do you stone me? I mean, they're just stuck, right? It's just a divine piece of intel and it stops the whole thing. So he sees what's going on. And he goes, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Silence. By the way, um, it's been said wisely that uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who walk into a room and say, here I am. And yeah, you know them. And you don't want to be that person. Like, here I am. Aren't you all blessed that I'm here now? There's that kind of person. And in Luke chapter 14, the room, this, this audience, they are fill, the room teems with those people, here I am. The other kind of person walks to the room and says what? There you are. So Jesus comes into the room and he sees the man. These guys don't, these religious leaders, they don't care about anything. Jesus looks to the man and in a sense says, there you are. There you are. It's really beautiful. And so notice it says, and he reads or he answers them, but they hadn't asked a question. Yeah, well, because he understands the whole thing that's, going on. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent, because that's what words of wisdom do. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Now you know the healing. If, if your face is swollen and your arms and your legs are swollen and Jesus Christ says to you, be whole. You know that was public, like the man's face was completely healed his arms were completely healed all of that swelling submitted to the lordship of jesus christ and the guy was sent out of the room completely whole and all of this while these men are completely silent like no one says a word then another question from jesus by the way when you think you're somebody and you're really nobody and jesus starts asking you questions it's a bad day you know what I'm saying? These guys are like, we're somebody. And Jesus is like, I got a question for you. And they're like, eh, I got another question for you. Uh, day, it's a bad day. So then he answered saying, which of you having a donkey? <laughs> I mean, if, since there's no compassion in your, your hearts for people, how about a donkey? Which of you having a donkey or an ox, if it falls into a pit, will not immediately pull him up on the Sabbath? That's a word of wisdom on top of another word of wisdom. How do they respond? <laughs> Completely. They got no answer. Because like, we can't really answer that one because if we answer, it, you, oh, uh, that means we broke the Sabbath stuck. They couldn't answer him regarding these things. <laughs> uh, we often think about Jesus, the great miracle worker. He's the guy that looses tongues, right? He's the, Our miracle worker, he's the one who comes to the, the dumb tongue, the stuck tongue, and he speaks and he would, in some cases he touch, and, the, and, the, and that's this uh, paralyzed tongue would begin to speak. But by one word, he can also completely strike the tongue dumb. Tongues that wag and those that won't, the Lord has made them both. That's my little proverb. <laughs> There's a verse that says, eyes that see and ears that hear, the Lord has made them both. I say, tongues that wag and those that won't, the Lord has made them both. Well, then he turns now, okay? So this whole thing happened, with this guy in the Sabbath, but there's a whole group of people there. And so he turns and he addresses the whole audience. They have no idea that this is coming, the teaching's coming for them now, notice. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them. Now, he was invited to be monitored, to be watched, and again, they would no notion that he watched them ever so closely. They took notes, and so did he. Seems everyone present at this somebody event, and there are somebody events today, right? We call them, hey, look, the who's who's there, right? Everybody at this event, they all did it. He noted how they all chose the best seats. He watched the whole crowd. The whole crowd is watching him, how he's gonna handle the Sabbath, and he's watching the whole crowd to go, isn't it interesting? Everybody who showed up today is looking for the best seat for themselves. It's fascinating. So it becomes a public teaching and he tactfully switches the, the context, not an event at a prominent Pharisee's house, but he calls it, it's now a wedding feast. And the idea is that it's a good technique, I submit to you on Christ's part, because he desires people to think things through for themselves. Did you know that in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was asked 183 questions. He only answered three of them directly. Guess how many questions Jesus asked people in his earthly ministry? Over 300, which means what? Church, Jesus desires, Jesus loves, Jesus is after a people who can think things through For themselves, amen. So I know we're facing all that we're facing in this world today. I'm praying that we've got an opportunity that church we can actually think through for ourselves the stuff that's happening out there, amen. I don't know about you, but whatever happened in this last season, a whole bunch of people quit thinking for themselves. All right, so that's as political as I'll get, and then I'll move on. All right, I don't want—I don't—I want to come here and be a blessing to Nate, not a curse. All right, so here we go. He says, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. Again, so he changes the event, but he adds, if you're invited by anyone, not if you're invited by somebody who's somebody, but if you're invited by anyone, just anyone who's anyone, like let this be your attitude, your behavior on every occasion, like let this be your, well, your position 24-7. Here he says, here's position A. Do not sit in the best seat. Now, we don't have this precisely in our culture, but then the seating was honor ordered. So, so, so the one who held the feast at the head of the table, those that were nearest the one at the head of the feast, they were, they were, it was honor and then it was descending order from there. So you're like, this is the most honored guest. He's sitting right next to the one who invited everybody. And then all the way down the list, it would go. We don't really have something like that in our culture. Maybe a wedding where you've got like the wedding party at, at the reception and there's like the wedding table and the, the only people who are supposed to sit at the wedding table are the bride and the groom and maybe the bridal party. And then like Uncle Eddie, who wasn't even invited, goes and sits up at the front. You're like, what are you doing? You do not belong there. And then someone shows up and whispers in Eddie's chair, you don't belong here. Go, go away. Anyway, we don't really have anything like this, but nevertheless, that's how it was. And so he says, listen, don't. With chest out, all puffed up, take the best seat. Don't parade yourself puffily and publicly Taking the best seat, sort of thinking of yourself or to yourself, well, surely I'm up there. I mean, I'm surely I'm some, I should be there. He says, What if someone who's got more honor than you, what if he's been invited and he's not here yet? He goes, Look, verse 9, and he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. Then you begin with shame to take the lowest place place the niv says then humility then humiliated in front of everyone who's looking at you because you wanted them to look at you you made them look at you you came in have you guys if you haven't done this with your kids i I grew up in florida one of the things we would do after church is we would drive through this little place on the way to lunch where you could see peacocks have you ever seen a peacock spread his feathers and try to have you ever seen this Google it with your kids later on and then the teaching will matter all the more. But you got this seemingly ordinary looking bird and all of a sudden, pfft, and have you seen it? They, they will shimmy and shake all the and, and, and the, and the male with all of his pretty, he'll, he'll corner the female. Pfft, it's really amazing. So you walk in you're like, pfft, 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 pfft. you want everyone to look at you, Right? And so you walk like that for 150 yards. Can you imagine being at a banquet? A 150-yard banquet table. And you go in front of everybody. Look at me, look at me, look at me. He says, if you do that, and then someone shows up who's got more honor than you, that thing is going to happen. That really awkward thing is going to happen. And everyone is going to see you experience the awkward thing because you wanted them to. And so someone's going to come to you, right? You've watched the pomp and the splendor. And then, because they're somebody and you're nobody, you're watching them. And then someone comes over and taps them on the shoulder. You're a long, long ways away, but this is really interesting. And you can hear them talking, and you can hear the one that's talking to the pomp and splendor, they're pointing. And you can see him go like, right there? And you go, no, not there. Like, two over? No, not two over. And then he hands the guy binoculars. (laughs) Like, your spot is way down there. (laughs) And then what do you gotta do? You gotta get up in front of everybody. All your little feathers are down, like. (laughs) Right, it's the red-faced walk of shame in front of everyone, and you chose it. You wanted them to see you, And so they will. Ah. Jesus, like, no, nobody wants that. So here's what you're to do. Verse 10. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table. With you, this is so great. No, nobody was looking at you. You, you came in uh, sort of can, can, conspicuously or inconspicuously. You, you like it that way. You actually want it that way. You're glad to sit in the shadows. You're okay to have the cheap sheets, uh, seats. It's the most comfortable seat in the house for you. And then what you will not choose for yourself chooses you. Exaltation. Like you would not choose to exalt yourself, but then exaltation is gonna tap you on the shoulder and exaltation will actually choose you. Somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, go up higher. And then you'll have glory in the presence of those who, notice, sit at the table with you. Notice, you arrived a guest, you went low, actually chose the lowest seat. You were glad to choose the lowest seat. Now che- check it out. Jesus says, you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Notice, you chose the lowest seat. God gives you the entire table. You know what I mean? You're just a guest. Now you're like the honored guest. You you had a seat. Now everyone is sitting at the table with you. See how that is? That's how it is with God. That's how it is with, with humility. It's how it goes with humility. Listen, those who make themselves of no reputation... God will make sure that they have one, which requires faith, doesn't it? You gotta trust that there's a God who sees the way we live. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, here comes the powerful punchline. Here comes like the, this is is where Christ just puts the, he nails this truth right into the proverbial coffin. Verse 11, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who exalts, excuse me, who humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, this is an eternal law, more fixed than gravity. Like, whoever does this, meaning it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a faith person, this is just true for all of life. Whoever does this thing where one exalts himself, where one parades and puffs out the chest and with conceit, you know, just uh, is moved to posture in a way so that all eyes are on him or her, where one brags openly about himself or herself, where one draws attention to himself, Christ says two terrifying words, two terrifying words. Whoever does this will be, humbled, will be, not could be, should be, might be, will be humbled, will be humiliated. Now that's, don't you think that's a kind message from our savior? Like, you know what? I don't want you to have this experience in your life. So I'm going to warn you, this is as true, more true than gravity. If you exalt yourself, you will be. Humbled. Now, the kind blessing is also equally universal. But whoever, he who humbles himself, who refrains from the best seat, who holds his tongue about himself, he who we could say might deflate self, he who will not boast or brag, but he who will like Jesus, who is quite remarkable indeed, and we are altogether forgettable and ordinary, But if we will, like Jesus, make ourselves of no reputation, if we'll leave our PR to him, once again, notice, not might be, could be, or even should be. No, no, the one who'll do this unnatural thing, and this is altogether unnatural, the one who will do this unnatural thing will receive this unparalleled blessing. You'll be exalted. He will be exalted. He will be lifted up. So what can we take from this? Oh, party at somebody's house for your life and my life today. Well, number one, I got three quick things here as we close. Number one, love makes less of self and more of others. We all like to think, most of us, that we're loving people. (laughs) But in the end, we do think quite a bit about ourselves, do we not? Love, if it's real, it makes less of self and it'll make more of others. Jesus made himself of no reputation. And that is so completely foreign to our modern minds, especially in this day and age. Think about it. The next, think about this. The next event that you're invited to, think about praying on the way. Think, think about praying on the way with your wife or your family. Like, hey, Lord, when we get there, let us be the kind of people that walk in and, and, and we're looking for someone else instead of hoping everybody else notices us, right? Let us be the family or let us be the man. Let me be the woman. Let me be the young person that that arrives at the next event, not like, here I am, but there you are. I I thought I was thinking about this um, this morning early. Can you imagine how different next Sunday at Awakened Church would be if every single one of us showed up here and the whole idea was like, I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve? Can you imagine how much stuff would get done? Can you imagine how different you would be in this, in this community? Shawnee and I, were, we drove in from Nashville today. Uh, I'm from Chattanooga, but we, we stayed in Nashville last night. My, one of my daughters played soccer for Lee University and played against Trebecca last night. So we stayed in Nashville to get here. And we drove by, I think, 73 or 4,000 churches to get here. You know what I'm saying, Right. And I'm, I'm in Chattanooga too, so I get it. Right? I think there's like two thousand churches in our little Chattanooga. And I you know, and, and the first service I was sitting up front worshiping, some of these songs are new, they're just beautiful. And listen to your hearts, and we're singing about the fact that the Lord's overall. We've got this and I and I thought, you know what's really cool? All seventy not all, all seventy three thousand of those churches that I they're all singing songs that a bunch of us don't know, and they're singing to the same Lord. Isn't that cool? It's really sweet. But you know what a, you know how different this place could be? If if we if we had this attitude that we were going to show up to serve, we we're going to show up to be to find the one who is in need instead of like here I am I got needs. You know that Christ Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, lived lower than anybody else, and he changed the world. That's not the world. That's not the message that the world tells us. Right? The world tells us climb, step, claw, creep, get on the top. The Lord's like no 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 no. Go low, be a servant, and this is the part here, folks, where we get a little humble. That is, this is the part where we choose low. You know, one day when you, when you, when, when you breathe your last, you're, the ex- exaltation's coming. You are going to be a son and a daughter of God most high in the eternal state. You are going to be exalted, right? High and lifted up you will be, right? When you see him, you're gonna be like him. Right now is the time where we go low because we want to be like him. He came, he went low, and now he's exalted above everybody else. We're here, let's choose to go low so that one day we can be exalted like him. Amen? Okay, and finally, number three. And I was thinking about this Um, yesterday afternoon. I emailed Breezy. She works at this church here, and I said it's the coolest name I've ever heard. Uh, Breezy. I never got a chance to meet her, but I thought if I ever meet Breezy, I guarantee you when I see her, she's going to be smiling. Isn't that what you think of someone named Breezy? And she was at the first service right there. And I'm like, you're Breezy. Of course you are. I should have known. She's just smiling. What a cool name. So I email Breezy and I go, I want to change the last point. And here's the last point. Humility is an attitude before it's an action. Think about that. You could take a long walk with that. Humility is It's an attitude before it's an action. I could take you back to Philippians 2 real quick, but notice it says, he, Jesus, didn't consider equality with God something to use for his own purposes. So that's the attitude, and he's God. And then it says, because of that attitude, he acted, he made himself of no reputation. So my prayer for Awakened Church, my prayer for every person in this room, my prayer for myself with you is that God would help us with that attitude so that we could see ourselves rightly, see, we could see ourselves lowly, and see others exalted around us. That's very, very different. But that's the way your Savior lived. That's the way my Savior lived. That's the way the greatest man that ever graced the face of this planet lived. And that's the way that we're supposed to live too. Amen.